The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You're listening to Wins Above Fantasy, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network with Van Burnett, and Steve Giswelli. Welcome back, everybody. It is Wins Above Fantasy, episode 86. Today is February 10th, and Steve, we're not too far off from Pitchers and Catchers, the World Baseball Classic, more drafts that actually matter, and opening day is, what, about seven weeks away? We can handle that. It's going to be a great show. Thanks, you guys, for joining us. We're talking about a fun topic and kind of playing devil's advocate on it. We are buying or selling the ADP risers. The industry is slowly speaking out on which players need to be higher on the draft board. And while we all love these players, and that's why they're risers, we're going to take a a closer look at how high can they rise before we've got to tap out and say, this is a little too rich for our blood. I'm Van Burnett. Joined, as always, by Steve Desuela. You guys can follow us on Twitter. The show is at WinsAbovePod. I am at Van underscore Verified. And Steve is at Stav8818. Steve, uh, I know we're both, you especially, a little under the weather here on this evening. Cold winter evening. Uh, how's it going, man? Are you just trying to grind this one out and and, uh, and get through the off season, Or how's life out there? Yeah, yeah. Um, life with a kid, you're... Kid is basically always sick, and then you're always sick uh, by like osmosis, <laughs> sure. uh, especially in the winter. So uh, learning that slowly, um, as I now have, uh, uh, like, you know, with with everything that went on and staying inside for like the last two and a half years, I felt like I hadn't been sick uh, in two years, and now I'm more than making up for it uh, this winter, uh, seemingly getting sick every other week, but whatever, uh, baseball is here talking fantasy baseball to, to, it's like, uh, you know, that's like my version of, you know, the chicken noodle soup to make you feel better. Uh, fantasy baseball, it's chicken noodle soup for the soul for me, at least. (laughs) Steve, did you, I would normally never attempt this reference, but you being a baseball guy, did you ever play a little, uh, backyard baseball growing up that little like cartoon computer game? I, I, did I play that game? Uh, it's like a it's like a cult legend between me and some of my friends. One of my, yes. one of my good buddies. Uh, I was gonna name just... drop that you sound like Mikey Brett Thomas. <laughs> I, I have a stubby nose, but I'll be okay. Uh, no, well, that's I, good. That's good. That's yeah. That's a deep cut there to to start us out. But yeah, I, I'm 
I'm with you, man. It's just uh, feeling the grind. I've told you on several occasions that uh, work for me has just been a hellstorm in the past like seven weeks. The Mexico trip helped, but to say I am ready for warmer weather, uh, calmer waters on the work front, and actual baseball that matters. Uh, you know, we got brighter days ahead, Steve. That's what we do is we, we got to get through the grind of the off season. And we got a great show. We'll try to uh, keep it moving on the conveyor belt because you're a little under the weather and we got a lot to talk about. So, I, I mean, before we jump into the names, we got a bunch, folks. Steve, I want your thoughts in general on this topic because there's the school of thinking that is go out and get your guy. And so many names on this list are the sexy names, the names that if you want them on your roster, you're probably going to have to reach uh, a round or two just to make sure because at least five other people in the draft room are going to be thinking, oh, I want this guy too. So I love the topic that we're trying to find where we draw the line. I don't know how good we'll be at this because you and I both uh, have a hard time quitting some of these players. And I just want your thoughts on like, approaching ADP risers when it comes to drafts? I mean, does it all come down to the player or do you have a certain philosophy? Talk to me about the the ADP risers. It's really hard because it's the market dictating the cost on a player. And, and if that cost is rising, there's probably good reason for it, right? Like, you know, the market's always correct. Like the cost is what the cost is going to be. And it's, more of the time what it should be um or you know more times than not it's, it's what it should be like these guys are, are hyped up for a reason everyone starts to get in it you know especially now as it's like draft prep season right like mm-hmm. we talk about that kind of all november through january right like oh i can't wait to dig in and find my guys well the guys are found and their cost is going up um I think we we talked about it a little bit before too. It's kind of like the advantage of doing a draft in like a crazy time, like November, December, right? Like you can beat this sort of market correction. Um, but now we're getting to the point where you kind of can't, and and all these guys that you're finding good reasons that are undervalued. You know, the the rest of your competition is also realizing that as well. But I, I also think that it, it's it's a good tool to say. Hey, like I didn't realize this guy is rising. Like maybe I should pay more attention to him. And you know, it, not every draft is the same. And, and if the, if there is a guy that that stays around the original value, right? Like you could say, hey, this guy was a riser in, in a lot of drafts. He's still around at his you know January cost. Maybe it's a it's a it's it's something that I I should pay attention to or scoop up. So you know, uh, it, it's it's a good tool to sort of identify kind of sleepers, I guess, because like this is the market telling you who are the sleepers, even though, you know, it's, it's like the Paul Spore uh, quote, like the wide awake sleepers, right? Yep. Um, guys that are too obvious to be sleepers and, and just aren't anymore uh, just because the price isn't, isn't there or the value at least isn't there. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of good nuggets in there. I think if, if any of these guys falls to you in a draft, even and by fall, we mean at you kind of, at value or at the price of their ADP, I think it's almost worth tweaking your your strategy. If you felt like you had a need there, you can shift and grab this guy because, you know, these are the ones that are kind of soaring up the board. And then we'll, we'll round out the show by talking about uh, a few guys that 
we believe uh, will rise from here on in. So it's kind of like if you have a draft now, maybe you can get out in front of the curve a little bit. But you brought up Spore, Steve, and I go back to our our podcast with Paul Spore last winter, and it's the example I love coming back to because Justin Verlander at the time, his ADP was like 110, and I remember Spore just going all in and saying, you know, I feel like there's going to be this big middle step in the spring where everyone pushes Verlander up to like ADP 60, and and people are kind of in or out. And he, he was laughing and saying, I'm just going to cut out the middleman and, and jump ahead of all that because I'm fine taking him in the 40s. And I think that's another part of this is like, you know, not only has it risen too much, but also on the flip side, like, you know, are, are we still buying them? Do we still think that there's room for profit, even with kind of the crazy surge on some of these names? So it's going to be a great show. Super excited. And I think with that said... We just jump in. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, let's do, let's do it. Uh, well, I, I love it. I think we got to start with the name that every time we've heard his ADP, we've said that's going to go up, and it now is happening, and it's Christian Javier. So, uh, so Javier, we should preface that all of these were, came from a, a fantastic Bloom board. Uh, you guys got to follow Ryan at Ryan BHQ. Ryan Bloomfield puts out these these great uh, great kind of spreadsheet table boards and these were the current risers so christian javier on the list climbed up from adp 71 to 61 and javier steve it's well documented that he is he is your guy you got him in the mock draft with nick pollock we've heard the uh chatter that this this feels like spencer strider with a 30 pick discount now that discount is starting to fade a little bit but for good reason. I mean, for, for anyone who missed it last year, 148 innings, the record 11 and 9 was actually a little unlucky because he had a 254 ERA, a .95 whip, and 194 strikeouts in those 108, uh, 148 innings. So there's so much to like about Javier. And Steve, I guess uh, if you want to give the summary of where you're at with Javier, but then... We're going to have to spend a, quite a minute talking about what you got to invest. We'll throw some names around him in the draft order. But what do you think about Javier and the helium here? So you kind of, uh, you know, said everything you were. Yeah. Say. Yeah. Well, no, no, you, you gave away uh, why I'm still in sort of in in your your spiel there. You know, the the the. The narrative is it's it's Spencer Strider with a thirty pick discount. Okay, now it's just Spencer Strider with the twenty pick discount. You know, uh, right, that's right. still pretty good. Um, he went from pick seventy one to pick sixty one in uh, Ryan's breakdown there in his blue blue board. So that's you know November December ADP versus January ADP, like you said. So you know if if you still think that this is a a, a discounted Spencer Strider, it's still. Uh, a really good deal and yeah i'm still in it at javier at pick 61 yeah and i mean looking at his first of all the pitcherless 8.0 should have mentioned in the upfront but the, the site is outstanding you guys got to get out there check out the pl pro stuff which is going to be live in a few weeks but it's got the percentiles now uh, on you know which which we didn't have before which is great i mean that's one thing that savant had now it's on pitcher list, and like you look at you look at Javier's page, man. Across all pitches, ninety first percentile in swinging strike rate, 
his PLV, which is the the new metric we'll be talking about upcoming in the shows, 86th percentile. Like this guy's even the whip, a 94th percentile. So you get the swing and miss stuff, but he's still just like, I mean, the control is not that bad. I think there's still room for growth there. That might be volume and control, the two things that you kind of squint and say, here's a little bit of risk. But overall, like, you know, the home run to fly ball rate is, is great for Javier. He's just, I mean, the, the guy is an SP1. The question becomes, when you look at names around him, who he is now kind of scooting up to, we got Julio Arias, uh, a couple picks ahead of him, Shane Bieber, uh, a pick ahead of that, and Kevin Gossman. So when you see those names, Steve, Urias, Bieber, Gossman, you still liking Javier above those guys, or do you think that's priced about right? I think that it's priced about right, but I could argue Javier um, ahead of ahead of all of those guys, in in, in my opinion. You know, mm-hmm. Bieber doesn't have the strikeout numbers that he does that he did from you know the shortened season when he was striking out the world and won the Cy Young. Um, same with Urias and, you know, the projections, I think they're wrong on Urias and sort of always have been, but you just don't get the strikeout upside, um, that you do with Javier, uh, with, with Urias and Bieber. And if you're in a position where like you're, you know, you, you faded starters early and you want to get your first starter, I think the one with the highest upside out of those names is Javier the one name, and this is kind of odd considering he's the the closest in ADP to him and behind these guys is Kevin Gaussman. Um, you know he has shown the strikeout capability. Yeah. Um, there's been you know a lot of indications that he was pretty unlucky last year, but you know uh, the command, especially when you, you you rely on a splitter like Nick Pollock always talks about, it's it's a really hard pitch to command. It could be walking from year to year from start to start from month to month uh so i could see an argument for javier as well uh you know uh toronto's i, I would think a, a worse place to pitch than houston houston's i know it has uh the short porch there with the crawford boxes but i think overall it's it's more neutral than toronto and toronto's also moving all of the walls in um uh, which is kind of going under the radar, I think, in my opinion. Uh, the, the noise out of Toronto is that, oh, you know, this is making it more neutral for pitchers uh, and neutral for home runs. But when you look at what they actually did, they moved all there. There's one wall that's moved back. It's not like they moved this wall in, that wall back. Everything was moved in. So I don't see how that's not just sort of their spin on it. So it might become a worse environment to pitch there uh, in, in Toronto for Gossman. So. Yeah, I I think that if you're in that situation, like I could see the case for Javier uh, if you need like a late, you know, a guy who's being drafted as an early SP2, as an SP1, like I think Javier Mm -hmm. has the most upside. So I I would take him definitely over Urias and Bieber just because of the strikeouts, but uh, Gossman, maybe Castillo too are a a little bit tougher. Uh, but I like Javier better than Arias and Bieber for sure. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, with the strikeouts you're going to get from Javier. I still think uh, there's kind of a health risk with Bieber. Maybe that's not fair, but Javier and Gossman is where it gets really tricky for me for the reasons you mentioned with the strikeout rate. But I think it's worth noting that the projected volume for Javier 
is probably a little bit higher than Strider. ATC's got him at 171 innings. That is like within five or ten of Gossman. So so actually, Javier's strikeout totals are projected higher than Gossman. And, you know, the ratios look better as well. And, and then you mentioned the fences coming in. I, I'm looking at the ERA projections for Javier at like a 3.63, 3.74. I think that's extremely conservative for what he showed last year. Um, yeah, and just I'm on vo- volume alone, this, dude. Uh, Javier pitched 148 innings last year. He had 194 strikeouts. Bieber right. pitched what? Like he pitched over 200 innings. One of the few guys to get that. I don't think he had 194 strikeouts, right? That maybe he was close, <laughs> but. Right. So Around giving the same Javier. amount of strikeouts and 50 less innings. Like, yeah, and then they're on the projections, they're giving yeah. Javier 20 more innings and only 10 more strikeouts. Like yeah, that, that no, he's going to approach like 250 if that's the case, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're kind of talking ourselves into this that despite the helium, we still might be backing Christian Javier. Is that fair? I, I am, yes, despite the helium, I am still backing Christian Javier. I, I am in. Love it. Okay, well, let's uh, move down the board a little bit. And we're talking about another Astro, new Astro and Jose Abreu. And Abreu kind of started out this offseason with, you know, some vanilla overtones. But really, with the move to the Astros, it, it started slow. And now his ADP is surging, where he's gone from 107 uh, down to 92. So he leapfrogged Vinny Pascantino in that time at first base. And it's a little bit harder with Abreu positionally because the, the first baseman in front of him, you have to go all the way up to Matt Olson in like the 50s. But to talk about Abreu recently, I mean, just this past season, the the name of the game was the, the power outage. So, you know, he still put up a, a durable season, 157 games. He's usually good to stay on the field. But just 15 homers last year. The 304 average was terrific. Uh, now everyone's talking about the Crawford boxes. I think you're going to get your runs, RBIs, your average out of Abreu. The question comes down to the pop. And it, really the market's kind of buying in that this is kind of a, a rare set of skills to get at a scarce position deep in the, the top top 100. So. Uh, Steve, your thoughts on Jose Abreu, and then we'll play a little chicken with some some util guys around him, since it's going to be weird to do it for first base. I, I haven't been that in on it, but I I, I think I should be. Uh, all of the metrics, other than the barrel rate, which kind of just regressed to what it was pre twenty nineteen for him, uh, looked really good. The hard hit, the average exit velocity, all of that is still really elite it was just you know a not as elite 9.5 percent bow uh, rate but in 2015 16 17 18 he had you know decent homer totals he hit between 22 and 33 homers all of those years and didn't have a bow rate higher than 8.9 uh that was in 20, 2015 so you know he's kind of one of those guys that probably gets the most out of those pull fly balls um he was obviously younger then, so maybe he got a little bit more out of it than he would have in his age 35 season in 2022. But that's going to be remedied by those Crawford boxes. Uh, you know, as a righty, like you see what Alex Bregman does with sort of a, a pedestrian bower rate. Uh, you know, he had, I know it was the year of the rat ball, but he hit 40 homers. I'm not saying that Abreu is going to get 40, but 
you know, he's going to be back up over over 20. It's not going to be the 15 that he had uh, last year. I, I would think it's between, you know, 22 to 30 uh, with, with all those good counting stats, the great plate discipline that he has. He only struck out 16.2% of the time. So, you know, that could have been a conscious decision, right? Like, hey, I'm going to cut down on my strikeout rates. I don't have as much raw power as I did even as, as far as last year in 2021 or, and you know, the ball is deadened. Uh, I'm not going to get the most out of my opposite field fly balls. Uh, and that could have been a conscious approach. He went from 261 batting average to 304. That worked. Now that he has that, those Crawford boxes, uh, Abreu is this, you know, this is more soft analysis, but he's the cerebral hitter that I think is going to know exactly how to take advantage of that situation. I'm really excited for Abreu. Um, in Houston, and I think it's a great option if you don't get one of those early uh, first basemen. I think I'm going to be targeting it more because I just know how horrible third base is and even outfield in the beginning. So maybe I'll feel a little bit more comfortable knowing that I could snag Jose Abreu a little bit later and sure up on some other positions that I don't think are as deep or have as good of an option as Abreu at pick 92. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point because we've been talking about so many positions that are scarce and it's like second base and third base and even outfield, you know, you got to get in on pitching. So it's one of those things where it's like, there's only so many rounds in the first eight rounds, you know, so you got to sacrifice a little bit. And if you feel like Abreu and Vinny P is enough of kind of a a two pronged parachute that you can skip first base at the top, that these are some good options. You mentioned, you know, the fact that he's a cerebral hitter, he is a he is a veteran. He's a he's a savvy hitter, but it's you know kind of gets forgotten that he's in his age thirty six season. Um, so maybe that's an argument for the the power drop off. But the numbers really don't add up. Like when you look at the barrel rate, it's just a tick down from where it's typically been, at least from twenty twenty one. And then you look at the home run to fly ball drop, and holy smokes, twenty twenty his home run to fly ball was thirty three percent. That was inflated. We knew it was going to come down. 2021, his homer to fly ball was 20%. But last year, just 10% on home run to fly ball. He's a career 19% on home run to fly ball. So I think uh, you're absolutely right. Probably 20, 25 homers. Anything else is gravy. But then you're getting the average there. So I like Abreu. I've, I've been a fan since he, he came into the league. Um, I'm with you. I, I think I will be interested here. Now, Throw positions out of uh, the equation, Steve. I mean, it's kind of a strange exercise, but imagine you've already got first base covered and some of these other positions. Just in terms of the player, the the guys going right next to him, Xander Bogarts, uh, Wander Franco, George Springer a little bit ahead, Eloy Jimenez just 10 picks ahead. When you hear those names, Bogarts, Wander, Springer, Eloy, where do you think Abreu falls on kind of your your target threshold there? I think I'd take him above most, if not all of those guys. Uh, Eloy would probably be the most tempting, but he's just been such a health risk that there's a good argument for Abreu there too. Uh, Bogarts, I know there's some uninspiring stack cast metrics and batted ball metrics with, with him. And then also something that we talked about, it's the first year of a, of a really – big and, and daunting contract, right? Like we've talked about the pressure there. I know with, with PLV, uh, Scott Chu was putting out the rolling charts of Marcus Simeon, you know, the aggressiveness and sort of the reach 
uh, rate, how it was at an all-time high the first few months that he was in Texas and then sort of figured it out as his season got on when, you know, he became the player that we expected him to. But, you know, remember April and May, Mark Simeon from last year, there was people probably dropping him or wanting to cut him uh, with how bad that was. So the new contract pressure is a real thing for for Bogarts, uh, despite the amazing new situation uh, that he's in. Uh, so I, I, I think I like Abreu more than most of those guys. Uh, you know, team context, uh, just being in a much more friendly hitter environment for righties with the Crawford boxes there. Uh, I like Abreu uh, more than, I think, all of those guys, yeah. Yeah, I was ready to fight you on Eloy because you know that's kind of been oh, uh, yeah. a target of mine, both of ours really, in the offseason. But I think, yeah, the, the durability for Abreu can't be overlooked. And you got to give him the nod on lineup context as well. So I think that's uh, that's a fair assessment. So maybe, uh, maybe Abreu, you're still okay to reach a little bit. I guess we got to ask the question, uh, Vinny Pasquantino or Abreu? They're going right next to each other. This is well well stated that this is a, a Vinny P podcast. Um, this one's going to be tougher for me, Steve. I think the the potential of Vinny P being a Brayu with more pop that you can bank on. Although the counting stats might be a little bit lower with the Royals, but where, where do you fall on that one? This his profile looks eerily similar to Jose Brayu. Like, and maybe you know it, it's smarter to go with Pasquantino because he's age twenty five and you know, coming into his power prime, but like yeah, an 8.8% power rate, 92 uh, average exit velocity, 113 max EV, all, all really good. Uh, you know, uh, amazing plate discipline, just 11% strikeout rate last year, walked more than he struck out. You know, we've gone ad nauseum as to why we love Vinny Pascantino, but I think that's, that might be a good comp. Maybe, maybe peak Jose Abreu, uh, you know, with possibly a little bit more pop, but, you know, it, it is a, a worse ballpark situation uh, that Abreu has been in basically for his whole career. But I'm going to take the, the cop out. I want one of those two guys as my first baseman if I don't have a first baseman <laughs> yeah, uh, I, in, the, in the first three, four rounds. That's that's fair. Vinny P slated to bat cleanup in that lineup, and Abreu is slated to bat fifth. So kind of a wash there when you think about kind of the – the lineup turnover with the Astros being a better offense too. So, okay, well let's, let's move along. And this name, Steve was one that I drafted in our, our PL mock draft at a much better uh, pick than where he's going <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. You wish and, you could get him at that price, right? Oh boy. Yeah. yeah. So Taylor Ward has climbed from ADP 135 to 124. And when I ran the numbers recently, he is surging. So, in the past four weeks, it's all the way up to 118. So Ward is kind of the tale of three seasons where, you know, he set the MLB on fire in the, the first third. Then he had the injury, and that kind of threw him into a funk is kind of how you would assess. Maybe that's looking at it uh, and kind of painting the narrative, but it really looked like in those the splits of the middle months, it, it might have been bugging him, uh, the injury he had. So to, to run those numbers, OPS in April, 1284. OPS in May, a 1043. June and July, 626 and 577. August, also bad at 662. And then set the world on fire again in September with a 1059 OPS. 
uh, finished the season with a really good balanced line, 23 homers, five steals, uh, 281 average, and some good counting stats there considering that he only played 135 games. That's an offense that's improving. We know it's kind of top-heavy with, obviously, Trout, Otani, but now they got Hunter Renfro in the mix. Brandon and Drury, Taylor yeah. Ward, yeah, Drury, that's right. And Taylor Ward is set to bat, let's see, leadoff for the Angels. So this, I mean, it's there's good reason why the, there's the helium here. But talk about Taylor Ward, Steve, and uh, let's look at some, some names around him. Yeah, it's an easy narrative to buy into and essentially tell yourself, okay, this is what happened. The neck was still bothering him. Uh you know, even though he missed only a small amount of time on the actual IL and number of games relative to how long it actually bothered him. Uh, and then it, it got better, right? And then you look at the, the Savant page, the pitcherless page, and it's all bright red and the, the top percentiles that you like to see. So I, I like it. I understand it. Uh, and I still think that this is kind of a discount considering how strong of a line that he put up and the actual metrics to back it up, right? Like there's nothing that this guy really does bad on, on the baseball field. Like even the sprint speed is, you know, 79th percentile. So it's kind of like a, a five tool player that I think, you know, because he got hurt and because his, you know, his breakout was in his age 28 season. Uh, mm-hmm that you know the market fully hasn't fully adjusted and you know had he not ran into that wall we might be talking about Taylor Ward as like a top 4 or 5 pick uh, it was trending that way in the first two months of the season right? oh gosh yeah like, you know? league winner for sure yeah. early so, on so it, it's 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 quick to forget that uh so I, I it's another one that it's not too steep of a, of a riser there and uh, I, I kind of like Taylor Ward, and I wouldn't be surprised if I take him over some of the names that we're going to go over here shortly. Yeah, and that's, you know, outfield, it's been a theme that especially at this part of the draft, it gets really thin. So a lot of these names you kind of double take at, and you're like, he's going there. But I think a big part of that is the position scarcity where everybody's getting pushed up. And on top of that, there's reasons to like some of these guys for different reasons, but the ones around him. So if Taylor Ward's at, you know, 118, which is the past month, uh, seven picks in front of him is Jake McCarthy, who, you know, we saw a, a limited sample size last year in 100 games. We did see the 23 steals. Uh, so McCarthy's obviously a, a specialist there who's going to help with average as well. He hit 283 last year. Um, you know, some of that might have been inflated a little bit. Um, but McCarthy, yeah, there's some pop. I mean, he might be like a, you know, on a good season, 15 homer guy, but certainly could go off for 30 steals uh, for the D-backs. Let's start with that one, Steve. McCarthy or Ward? You kind of got the balanced production with Ward, and then you got kind of a wild card with McCarthy. On uh, the PitchCon panel this year, I think I called Jake McCarthy 2023 version of Miles Straw. Uh, which is probably a bit harsh. McCarthy's definitely a much better hitter than, than Miles Straw. Uh, and Straw was one of my better fades last year. Just same area of the draft, too. Yeah, like same area of the draft. Right, right here. And I think it's tougher to fade McCarthy because he 
definitely is a better hitter, but I don't know if he's as good as the run that he went on last year. So I'm essentially out of McCarthy. So that's an easy one for me. Uh, I, I take Taylor Ward there. Obviously, team context, though, like if you need speed, you're right. going to lean McCarthy. But like there's a scenario where McCarthy isn't an everyday player with just how much talent, young talent, Arizona has in the outfield. So uh, they don't need someone to struggle for too long before they're replaced by, you know, uh, another young player there, even with the, the move of our show to Toronto. So uh, I'm ca- I'm very, very cautious with McCarthy. So that's an easy uh, Taylor Ward win for me there. Or, okay. Or- okay. McCarthy set to hit third, at least according to roster resource. A uh, couple picks in front of McCarthy is Saya Suzuki. And then in front of them, you got some uh, wish-casting bounce-backs with uh, Byron Buxton, your kryptonite there, Steve, and then yeah. Tyler O'Neill, uh, who's not your kryptonite. I'm, I can't think of a word that just stands for, like, disaster and doom and gloom, but that's that's what O'Neill has been for you. Yeah, the uh, stake in my back, I don't know. <laughs> so 20 picks there about for Buxton and O'Neill. But man, O'Neal's are in this from a Cardinals fan. O'Neal's kind of a risky play, and then Buxton, obviously with the the health concerns, could you see Ward kind of inching up toward these guys? Uh, I don't know. I think it's it's there's much it's much more name brand with Buxton and even O'Neal too. Uh, and, and I genuinely like O'Neal as a bounce back. Buxton is just you know the the injury risk. I've I've learned the hard way that it's just really really hard to 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 trust in there. I don't think that Ward will come up to those guys, but I still think I'd rather have Ward at his cost than O'Neill at pick a hundred, right? I'd rather yeah. take someone else. Afford then, to wait around. Exactly. Maybe. Exactly. Yeah. And then wait around for O'Neill. Okay. Yeah. Or wait around uh, for Ward. Excuse me. Yep. I, I, I agree with that for sure. But um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, put force to a decision. I think I would, I would bet on Ward having uh, in, in the range of outcomes. I think Ward is a safer bet for a productive season at that kind of like pick one ten range. So, so I think we're a thumbs up on on all these so far. Surprisingly, with Javier Abreu and Ward, uh, the next one we got is Charlie Morton, who is one that Steve, you've been uh, kind of preaching this as well. I've seen you out on the Twitter sphere talking about Morton. So, why don't you lead off because he's obviously you know when he's on the mound when he's dialed in you know, he, he, he looks great when he's going. And, and last year we kind of saw, uh, you know, him start really slow and then it got better. Um, but you're getting strikeouts with, with Morton. He's also 39 years old. Um, his ADP has climbed from 171 to 159. So your thoughts on Charlie Morton and are you uh, still riding the wave as his ADP kind of moves up here? Yeah, I think you saw my tweet to another former guest of the pod, uh, Frank Stanfield, who did a similar exercise to Ryan Bloomfield, uh, went over some risers over uh, over a, a time period, and, and Morton was one of them. And I was arguing that he was still going too low. Like, there was a reason why he had that performance uh, drop down, drop off in the beginning of 2022. Uh, you know, I, it's one of my early you know, preaches to myself or, or something that I, I like to do. It's like, look for a cause as to why some, why a change is happening, why results are happening. And Morton was pitching and coming back from a broken leg that happened in the World Series. And then there was an article uh, that he worked with uh, 
I believe it was Max Fried or uh, Kyle Wright, actually. Kyle Wright actually saw that he wasn't pushing fully off of his back leg, the leg that was broken. So obviously Morton's mechanics were compensated for that injury. Um, and Wright, Wright's breakout, you know, developed from using more of his lower half and pushing off from that back leg off the rubber to, to generate more uh, velocity and, and have more effective pitches. And they sort of worked on that. And then once that, that Morton figured that out, he's like, yeah, I, I, I was, wasn't using my back leg as much as I should have. And the results took off from there. Uh, so, you know, coming back from that injury after that, you know, he was the, the, the Charlie Morton of old. Uh, and I think that, you know, due to the fact that he's an old guy, I think it's it's an ageism thing that, you know, he's 39. Like, even if he didn't have that much of a down year, there probably would be some sort of discount that shouldn't necessarily have been there uh, with Morton. So, uh, you know, he made the line look respectable. Uh, I know the ERA wasn't as as good as you would have hoped for where you draft Morton last year at 434, but... You know, looking at the splits by month, like you can clearly tell that he figured something out and became the pitcher that that you expected. Uh, in uh, the second half, uh, that's actually surprising. Uh, he had oh, okay, actually, he had a four forty five ERA in this first half, four nineteen mm-hmm. in the second half. So not as amazing as I, as I would have thought, but I mean, he still held, held batters to just a two thirty average in the second half. So, yeah, I think this is one of those Steve where like if, uh, you know, September, we kind of take our eye off of some of the fantasy happenings and Morton kind of regressed in September. Now the good news is, uh, his fastball velocity, you know, he was still striking out over a batter per inning. Um, but yeah, that month of September, over five starts, he had a 5.27 ERA, which is what pulls it up. But you're right. In the months before that, June, July, August, all uh, sub 3.6 ERA and a whip right around one. So it, it was just he wobbled a little bit at the very end. But yeah, so X, think- his ex-fip in September was uh, much better. It was 3.93. So. Not as bad as, gotcha. as what, so, uh, so maybe a little bad luck, yeah, but yeah, I mean, luck, yeah. when you look at it, 172 innings with 205 strikeouts, if you're, if you're counting on the 434 ERA coming down to, I don't know, three, nine, even four, you'd take it with the, the strikeout stuff. So volume seems to still be kind of, uh, bankable that, you know, the year before 185 innings last year, 172. So I like it at that part of the draft. I mean, uh, he's no spring hen, as they say, and and going around 159, that's probably your SP five. Um, but I think it's a, a good a good bet. So some names around him are Pablo Lopez, a few picks behind him, uh, Chris Sale, exact same ADP. Uh, then you got like Jordan Montgomery, Dustin May, Chris Bassett. So those are still some good pitchers, but. Uh, Morton's an interesting name. Where would you kind of uh, drop him in that group? I think there's a lot more risk associated with all of those other players, right? Like there's, you know, Morton's coming off a 172-inning season. I mean, other than Pablo Lopez, was there anyone in that range that had that close to that many innings uh, with the strikeout numbers that Morton's uh, capable of? You kind of have to wish cast. uh, Yeah, Montgomery doesn't have the Ks. Yeah, Montgomery Uh, doesn't have the Ks. Sale, you have to hope, is healthy. 
Bassett probably doesn't have the K's, I don't think. Uh, definitely not. Uh, yeah, not May, too May you have to you have to hope that he's able to keep it together for a full season coming off of uh, the injuries that he had. So Morton, I think, has the least path of resistance to having a you know an upside SP two three season like he's been basically a lock to do the last few years. Yeah, that's. I mean, it, it's it's fair. I think May is going to be the the sexy pick from that yes. bunch, but I don't know that I'm in just because I think the volume is going to be much lower. Uh, Monty can't turn the corner on on the strikeouts consistently. Bassett, same story. Sale is an interesting one. I think yeah. um, as we get into spring, if Sale looks good, that's going to be the one that I might tick over Morton. Um, but I think. You're kind of selling me this offseason because I was not looking at Charlie Morton as a, as a great value, and I think that he is. So um, I like it. Uh, so we will talk more. We got some batters on the way, but we are going to take our first ad break, and we'll be right back. All right, so Steve, shifting on over to a guy whose name we've talked about uh, on a couple episodes, but it's a guy I'm a fan of, and it's Vaughn Grissom. So... When I was a fan, I was talking about him as ADP uh, 189. Uh, He's now up to 175. And Grissom, you know, obviously with them moving on from Dansby Swanson, they're giving him a vote of confidence here. He, like Michael Harris II, completely skipped AAA. And as just 22 years old, came up last year in 96 games. At uh, the high minors, he was insane. Uh, 14 homers, 27 steals, batted 330. Then the 40 games in the majors, you know, it, it started really good. Hit 291, five homers, five steals. Uh, but it it definitely dropped off where, you know, by the time playoffs came around, they were giving uh, at-bats to Orlando Arcia. He's a tough one to nail down because we've seen so little of him. I've I've noted that I kind of like the plate discipline. Uh, you and Shelley weren't as keen last episode, but um, Grissom, are you are you in a void or are you just not really going out of your way to grab him? I think I'm not really going out of my way to grab him. I think that this rise is just more due to the news that Swanson is no longer there. They're handing him the starting role, and it's you know uh, essentially a way to get good exposure to the Atlanta lineup, but I don't know if that there's enough skills there for me, at least yet, uh, for me to be fully bought in, especially as the price continues to rise. Um, you know, I, I might need a little bit more of a reason other than like, hey, this guy's going to be playing every day for the Atlanta Braves. I think that there needs to be a little bit more skills growth, especially in his sort of second half of that 40-game stint where the league caught up to him a bit. I know that line still looks good, but that's buoyed from a really, really hot hot start. Um, And I don't know if he's made that adjustment back like we saw Michael Harris do after he had a little bit of a cold spell in his second month and then readjusted and tore the cover off the ball again. Um, I still want to see that with Grisham, and I don't want to pay much more than where he's going currently to find out if he's made that adjustment. If you see him going off in spring training, will 
Is this the type of name that you would pay I, close I, attention to? Maybe. I, I, I think this one might be like a classic, like don't pay attention to the spring numbers because, <laughs> because like, you know, he had that exposure. Like, you know, he can clearly hit big league pitching when he's on. And mm-hmm. If he's facing, you know, some quad A arms or things like that. Uh, you know, I've been fooled by Keston Hero spring training home runs, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, Michael Franco. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, we are due for a little bit of disagreement because I'm I'm more in with Grissom. I like that the projections are as well. They got him at a 277 average, 14 homers, 16 steals in 124 games. That's what ATC has him at. And yeah, even though he's batting ninth or set to bat ninth, I think the Braves lineup is good enough that that I don't think that's going to map out to what ninth typically looks like in terms of at-bats and plate appearances. So, uh, plus, you know, it, it should help with runs, and maybe they give him the green light on, uh, you know, running on the base path. So, I, I do like uh, Grissom. Now, when I look at names around him, uh, we got uh, Jonathan India is actually going behind him. Uh, Brandon Lau is a few picks ahead of him. And then Tyro Estrada is about six picks ahead of him. And I'm gonna I'm actually gonna come out with a, a statement here. Say it with the chest that I, I like Grissom more than India, Lau, and Estrada this year. It might be a hot take for you, Steve, but I, I I'm I'm planting the flag that I, I think the plate discipline from the minors, uh the power speed uh combo and at, at the position eligibility with, with him, I, I think that it's worth it there. So what are your thoughts on those guys? Are you in on all of them ahead of Grissom, India, there's, Lau, and Estrada? There's no one that I really want to plant my flag in out of those names. It's a tough, tough spot. Like that tells me that I don't want to draft the second baseman from this uh, right. from that group. Like I don't know. I, I, I guess there's there's so many positions that you're going to have to be drafting from this range of position of players that you don't like for one of these spots. Like you can't be strong everywhere. Uh, so I, I could see, I think I will talk about it a little bit. I, I like Jonathan. He has a bounce back. Uh, Tyro Estrada. We've talked offline as we took him in our dynasty draft, um, that he's kind of a, a stuff and things guy. Uh, shout out to uh, Eric Berry, who sent uh, me a DM to, explain what a stuff and things guy is. So we'll have to be a little bit better about that. Uh, just a guy that, you know, a guy that contributes a little bit here and there everywhere. Uh, sort of like a, a later round five tool player. Uh, not necessarily like the star five tool player that you think of, but someone that could help you here and there in all these different categories. So, uh, that is the correct definition. I've always associated stuff and things guy with like the Ben Zobrist, where yeah. like any one thing doesn't look. Good, that was exactly I, my uh, description to to Lucas there. Uh, okay, good. To, good. Zobrist was my prime example. So exactly. Okay, so I think uh, we're we're a little bit split on Grissom, but we're in agreement that that is kind of a, a rough. You know, definition of parachute players where you're in trouble if you don't have a second baseman. But maybe that's hopefully a middle infield spot. And you mentioned uh, Jonathan India, Steve. Let's just segue right to him because he's another one who's on the rise for ADP from 189 to 178. Um, And India, you liked going into last year. And, you know, I I guess just what's what's the outlook for India? Do we think even with this Reds offense... He's going to turn it around because last year when we did see him 
for the 103 games, it just wasn't quite the same. The average came down uh, 20 points, down to a 249 average, and then uh, just 10 home runs, three steals. It was kind of meh. The OPS dropped from 835 in 2021 down to 705 last year. But do you think uh, there's a nice bounce back opportunity here for India? Maybe I should have planted my flag here in India a little bit more uh, in that last one as I had to head. Uh, Eno Saris did a piece for The Athletic uh, about bounce-back players. Um, a few of them were more on the higher end that I, I think I agree with well, too, you know, like Juan Soto. Um, and India was, was I think, the, the third name there uh, listed. Acuna was another one that's, I think, a pretty easy one to make a case for as well, just coming off the injury. But I think India is also coming off an injury that I don't think is as, like, obvious or people are talking about it as much. You know, he had that groin injury that I think he was on the IL twice for. Like, he hurt it, came back, hurt it again. And Yeah, there was a hamstring. And, yeah, it was a hamstring. In, in yeah, yeah. So I think that was bothering him all year. I mean, it's evidence, and what Eno talked about in his article was, was the sprint speed. He was 86th percentile sprint speed in 2021, down to 59th percentile sprint speed in 2022. Like, I, you know, he he's only age 26. I don't think he, like, right, right. got that slow <laughs> yeah. one year because, you know, it was because of the hamstring injury. And who knows, like, how what else that was impacting. You know, we talked about with Charlie Morton how your lower half uh it can really affect things and for a hitter too, that if you don't have a leg to drive off of to, to hit, like that's going to affect you. Um, so I, I think that really impacted a lot of his game. Uh, you know, there was still some concerning things like, you know, the, the, the whiff percentage was worse. The, the walk rate was worse. Uh, the K rate was worse in 2020, 2022. We're around the uh, K rate was around the same, but still the point stands, uh, Everything across the board essentially was worse uh, metrically. So mm-hmm. I, I just think that a good portion of that can be explained away by that recurring and nagging hamstring injury. And with a full offseason to recover, uh, I like India as a bounce back candidate. Okay. Yeah, I think as long as expectations are tempered a little bit, because even going back to his minor numbers, um, you know, we never saw him fully in, in AAA, but in 2019, across, uh, you know, high A and double A, uh, basically 112 games, 11 homers, 11 steals. He batted like 265. So that's, I mean, I guess I'm just wondering, like, what type of a player he is, because that first year did look great. Um, but when you... You look at at three twenty six BABIP. Even last year, he had a three hundred five BABIP, and he 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 hit two forty nine. So, I'm just trying to grasp. Like, I, I think he will help across the board, but I just worry that it might be like a fifteen homer, eight steals, and a, a two sixty five batting average. And it's like, how much is that helping with the Reds' offense around him? Um, that's why I just think Grissom. There's a little bit more of the unknown. That, that plays into his ceiling. Um, but I, I do think India is a solid player. Like, I, I test as well. I've seen him play a handful of times against the Cardinals, and, like, he's he's easy to root for. And, and the, the Reds back him. You know, he, he's supposed to hit second in that lineup, so he's definitely got a leg up on batting order. But, 
Yeah, I'm just I'm kind of medium on India. Probably where you're at with Grissom. Like if he falls and I need him, I think yep. I would take him for a MI spot. But that, that's probably the extent of it. Yeah, I, I I think that that's fair as well. Like you have to talk yourself into India's power just because the Bowery at the hard hit percentage isn't there. Um, even though you know it, it looked like he vastly outperformed those in 2021, um, so you could have expected some things. With, to regress without the injury, but I think that he might be the player that isn't necessarily defined by those uh, specific metrics. Uh, and you know, he plays in the ballpark that could cover it up too if he's going if he's going well. So um, I, I like India in that range. I think I would take him out of the, all those names listed, but understand the hesitancy as well. Yep. Yep. Well, let's move to uh, a fan favorite and uh, a personal favorite as well in Lars Newtbar. Steve, we about broke the draft room on our Dynasty League when we grabbed Newtbar way early, but it was evident that a lot of people were not happy about that, which is a great sign. Uh, last year, we saw a completely different Lars Newtbar. Um, he has been uh, just kind of the poster boy of uh, the bat speed and like, uh, is it is it driveline? The I believe I believe he's at driveline. Yeah, yeah. yeah Arenado's yeah, been there too, so it makes sense the Cardinal connection. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and added eight miles per hour on his his swing speed. His barrel rate climbed from 2021 at five percent all the way up to twelve percent last year, which was 88th percentile. Uh, there are people. Oh, there's a lot of chatter of Newt Bar kind of uh, getting moved up to either hit leadoff or bat second uh, because of his plate skills as well, where he's got a f- nearly 15% walk rate, and Tommy Edmond does not. So I think there's a lot of upside for Newt Bar. Um, and yeah, that, the ADP is reflecting it. He is, he's gone from an ADP of 199 all the way up to 184. Again, there's a little bit of that uh, that outfield uh, tax that you got to pay. So, Newtbar, uh, the one thing that I want to look at because he's a he's a lefty hitter, and the Cardinals do have a crowded outfield uh, against lefties. He still hit well. I batted 273 against them. Actually, higher higher average, just less power. So. Yeah, I think I'm all systems go on Newt Bar, Steve. But um, any anything you'd like to add, we can look at some some names around him as well. I love 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 Lars Newt Bar. I am going to need you to get me a Lars Newt Bar jersey when you go to a Cardinals game this summer. Uh, you know, we'll, yeah, we'll have That's, to. Uh, yeah. You know, do a jersey exchange or something. You know, I'll get you a Met or, or, or Yankee, whichever one you want, and. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll have you send me a, a new bar one. Uh, I'm going to try and get him absolutely everywhere. I still love that you know, the price is relatively cheap. Pick 184 is, you know, uh, it, I think it's it's still a great value for just all this the things the guy does under the hood. His stack S page, his PL, his pitcherless page. Um, Dave Swan had an article come out. Uh, second half hitters that you need to pay attention to. And Newt Bar was the first one. And uh, one of the PLV or one of the, the new uh, pictureless tools, the, the rolling charts with PLV, um, the, his contact ability just throughout the year uh, just is a straight skyrocket up. He finished basically expected uh, his contact uh, above expected is in like close to the 90th percentile is where he finished the season. Um, 
and he's just seems like a hitter that's finally putting it all together all these tools uh you know working at driveline adding that bat speed improving the barrel rate uh i, I am basically all in on new bar i want to grab him everywhere um you know he's a guy that i'll probably have to do in my home league like bump up around or two to make sure i get him but hey uh it, it's better to do that in you know what round is, is new bar going in uh, yeah that's probably like, like the, 15th. the 15th yeah like 15th 16th like sure whatever bump uh you know if I, that that's better to, if you spend a 14th round pick than someone if you have to do it like i did last year with like o'neill or wander franco in the second or third right uh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we talked about that as sort of like a lesson learned like take those bumps and do those risks later and new bars going late enough that i still think it's okay to to bump them there so uh yeah new bar jersey we'll have to uh arrange for that to be sent to me please yeah i I hope they got to buy one get one steve i'm I'm in with you uh very excited and keep your eye out for newt bar on team japan in the world baseball interesting cool i love that extremely cool to to see it was a surprise that that uh that they had him off topic Um, but do you think i i just feel like with with walker sort of waiting in the wings and essentially that he's being an outfielder now jordan walker that is like are the Cardinals going to make a trade? Could they? You know, I know they. Like, I know they. I know they like Carlson in center. Like Carlson, um, and his defense is great. But I know O'Neill's defense is great too. Like, is there a reason why they don't put him in center? Is he not as good in center? Uh, I, I guess maybe he has more trade value currently than than Carlson, just with how bad Carlson was with the bat last year, and yeah. that's saying something because O'Neill did have a bad year as well with injuries and overall with the bat, but. I'm curious as to what you're putting your Cardinal fan hat on. What what they what you think you're going to do there? Yeah, I think I think moving Bader was a, a big vote of confidence for Carlson, and it just seems like Tyler O'Neill is the one to me where I I, I see that as a, a trade chip. I mean, it's the writing is on the wall that we clearly need pitching, and and there's no one left. Uh, O'Neill was signed to a, to a one year. Um, recently but you know it's a one-year contract it's not a big vote of faith so yeah I mean Burleson is on the bench and he's exciting too so like there's you know maybe Burleson could be put in a package because he's a lefty and uh you know Newt Bar is also a lefty I think they're you know Newt Bar is is really the the piece here that I think we're most excited about and then when Walker comes up yeah, absolutely. He's, he's got to land in the outfield or DH. Um, but when you look at our staff of Wainwright, Michaelis, I mean, Montgomery's fine, but Flaherty's on the way out. Matt's isn't like a playoff contender. And then you look at the window of like Wilson Contreras, Goldie, Arenado, like this has to be a window and you need better pitching. So we have a surplus in outfield. Somebody's got to go. I don't think it's going to be Carlson or Newt Barr. I think it might be either O'Neill and or Burleson and maybe some some other pieces to 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 bring in an arm but yeah I think uh Newt Bar is is safe is, is my prediction just especially I wanted to look at the the lefty splits and they look good so that's that's kind of my two cents on it I like it I'm team Newt Bar as well obviously so go Newt Newt, Newt. Okay, well, let's uh, keep rolling, Steve. We just got one more name, and then we'll we'll bunch some potential future risers uh, together as well. But uh, 
very curious, a guy that we have not really talked about is Estery Ruiz uh, for the Oakland A's. And Ruiz is a, a speed demon. I mean, you mentioned the Miles Straw thing. Like, this is hopefully not a single category guy, but I, I believe he is projected to steal. Is it 27 or 30? I, I see anywhere between 20 and 36 bases. Wow. So, yeah, ATC falling in the middle at 25. But, yeah, he's projected to be like a top five steal source. And you'd imagine the Oakland offense will be so dormant that they'll let him run. Um, the question is kind of like the Mondesi uh, narrative back in the day is can he get on base enough to actually make an impact? Uh, he's set to bat ninth in that lineup. And – you know, the plate skills are not good. I mean, last year, extremely short sample size, but a 2.8% walk rate. It was higher uh, in the minors, more like, uh, you know, 8 9%. So Ruiz is, uh, he's a boom-bust pick, just 23 years old, 70-grade speed, but his ADP has surged from 291 up to 238. And we haven't talked about him, Steve. Are you going to have any shares of Esther Ruiz? Maybe if I'm absolutely desperate for steals in, in the late rounds. But, you know, looking at the projections, like, if he was on any other team, he probably wouldn't hit enough to hold an everyday job. But because it's Oakland, it, they just might play him and let him accumulate steals. But I would find it hard to believe that he'll be a contributor in any other category other than steals and that's a tough thing to to roster like you know look at Jorge Mateo last year like yes he had stretches and he hit you know what like 12 homers and but there were some you know when he was ice cold like the you know when he's not getting on base he's not able to run and it's just a hole in your lineup and despite the overall really good fantasy line Jorge Mateo put up put together last year there was points where you know he was dropped in a lot of leagues um so a guy with less power than that clearly I think uh it it, it might be tough to to hold on to all year and you know when, when injuries pile up and 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 tough decisions need to be made with your roster like it's easy to move on from a guy like this if they're in the middle of a cold stretch despite that upside for stolen bases. So, you know, even if he does get that 25, 30 steals, like are you going to be able to time that right? And does it fit with your roster with, you know, when those 10 steals come in two weeks when that he's hot? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's, a hard, it's a harder thing to nail down in season when you have to actually manage the roster, which I think makes these speed-only guys even tougher to roster. So... I'm kind of out on a reason unless it's like, you know, a draft and hold and, hey, we're, we're light on steals. Let's try and bank another 15 to 20 here. Yeah, the, I think the one thing that I would pay attention to in like spring training is if the contact skills, like if, if the average looks a little better than his projection of like a 225 because yes. to be fair in the minors, uh, you know, he, he's with, with the Padres – in 2022, across like it looks like 80 games, he hit 344 at Double A and 315 at Triple A, and then he hit uh, 329 in 37 games with the Brewers in Triple A in in 2022. So, 
you know, he's shown the ability to hit for average in the minors, but it's the, you know, the, just his actual scout grades and his projections look really brutal. Um, you know, and he doesn't strike out all that often. So it'll be, it'll be one to just keep an eye on. I do think he is like a best ball specialist because of the, the points you're making that if, you know, you don't have to deal with the headache of when to plug him in your lineup um, and you let the the systems just kind of put him in there, it can help. But the exercise of names going around him, you have Yoshida a few picks before, Ramon Laureano, uh, Andrew Benintendi's going 20 picks before. All these guys are, you know, especially like Benintendi, Seth Brown, Verdugo, I think they're a lot more bankable as, again, like stuff and things guys. Um but they're nowhere near the help in speed. So I think it's very much just dependent on roster construction as kind of a, a cop out there. Uh, any Anything to add on uh, Ruiz there, Steve? I mean, it, as it relates to like a Benintendi or maybe Ramon Laureano is the better one. Like, you I know, think those guys could help you for sure in other places, Like, right? Like Benintendi gives you a good average. Um, you know, he talked about how he's hoping to tap into more power in in Chicago now. Um, so uh, I, I just think that those guys are like, and they're just better locks to like have a job, right? Like, you know, uh, yeah. I, right. I know Oakland's bad, but they're not going to run out like a 500 OPS if that's, if that's what it comes down to, like, you know, but that's what he had in 17 games last year. So, uh, I, I need to see more from Ruiz, uh, honestly. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, we'll talk about some potential future risers, but we are going to take our second ad break. We'll be right back. All right, Steve, I know we're uh, kind of in the home stretch here, but uh, an interesting way to look at this is, you know, getting out ahead of the the next risers. And there was a a great tweet from Matthew Davis uh, with some, some good engagement there on Twitter at Maddie Wood. And he basically asked who are some people you could see rising up the draft boards for ADP in the remaining time until opening day. And, uh, you know, let's pair these first two pitchers, Lance Lynn and Tyler Glass now. So right now, Lynn is uh, going at pick 139, which is middle of the 12th round. And then Glass now is a little bit pricier. Um, going in the eighth round at pick 90. Uh, between Glass now and Lynn, uh, who who could you see kind of moving up more, relatively speaking? Um, and what are your thoughts on these guys? Um, I think it's Glass now. Like if he comes out in, in spring training and looks like he did at the end of last year, um, like I think, he, I think he could shoot up just because this stuff is so tantalizing and you know, he was essentially, you know, on his way to becoming like this next fantasy ace that was going to be drafted in the next, you know, in the top two rounds for the next five years until Tommy John happened. Um, right. And like so famously at that press conference where he was just mad about like all the different grips of balls and everything like that, which is <laughs> not that it's funny that, that a guy ever gets hurt, but it was just, uh, you know, the passion. It was cool yeah. seeing the passion of him being like so open and honest about how he felt, whether he was right or not. But um, I could see Glass now shooting up. Lynn, I think, should definitely be higher. It's sort of like that Morton thing. I think 
because he had that slow start, um, because he's like an old fat guy. Uh, there, there's right. just a, a natural uh, discount on there. Uh, I, I'm sure if Lynn listens to this podcast, I, I, I apologize the way he, you know, curses at himself and uh, a, a, after a strikeout, you know, the, the pitching ninja videos that he puts together with how fired up he gets. I do not want to be on his wrong side. I'm, I'm hyping you up, Lenslin. I promise. You're I, better. I, I, yeah, I, you're I better love you shape the, than me. Or Steve. I, I love you at this ADP, and I think. You should be higher, but I just don't think that you'll shoot up as much. But hey, that's a good thing because I'll probably have a few more shares of you. Uh, so shout out Lance Lynn there. But I think Glass now, if he looks like you know Tyler Glass now of twenty twenty one, or you know, and twenty twenty, uh, he could shoot up uh, very very quickly, depending on how he does in a few spring starts. Yeah, you almost forget about Glass now with all the the Shane McClanahan and even Shane Boz last year. Um, But yes, I mean, definitely just an absolute ace when he is on the mound. And yeah, health pending. There's no reason he's not in that same discussion we were talking about earlier. I mean, maybe volume. um, But, you know, if he can get up to like 150, you know, his strikeout numbers will look right there with Javier's and Gossman's. And then Lance Lynn, you know, to, to help dig us out of the hole, if you're tuning in, Lance, phenomenal second half last year. Uh, you know, the first half was not good with just 36 innings, but that was, uh, you know, coming off of uh, some, some knee surgery issues, which has to be a nightmare to deal with. And, yeah, the first, first 36 innings had a 7.5 ERA uh, post-All-Star break. 85 innings pitched, 89 strikeouts, a 2.52 ERA, and a .97 WHIP. Uh, so Lynn, you know, 35 years old, but he's he's a workhorse, and he's got the pitch mix with a bunch of different looks at the at the heat with the four seamer, the cutter, the sinker. Um, you know, last year we were drafting Lynn around pick 50, and now it's almost 100 picks behind that. So I think that's a good shout as well for Lynn. I like both of those guys. Um, then move into a couple youngsters here, Miguel Vargas, who again is just a, a, you know just an absolute pillar of the pod for the off season. Another guy that we've got shares of, Steve, and Hunter Brown, who we've talked about plenty. These were two more names mentioned on Matthew Davis's Twitter thread there, and ones that we've talked about plenty. So I could see them moving up, especially with uh, Vargas getting an extra vote of confidence in terms of playing time. And Vargas right now is going in the 23rd round at pick 281. Just don't see that staying. Um, and then as for Hunter Brown, it's a little bit earlier, I believe, at um, – where are you, Hunter Brown? 260, so just 20 picks ahead of Miguel Vargas. Steve, we talked about both of these guys. I think we like them. Which of the two do you see kind of rising more – um, and are you ready for the rise? Unless Brown gets announced that he has a rotation spot, I don't see him going much higher than this. I think Vargas is going to shoot up because it's been announced that he is essentially has the inside track for the starting second base job. I think it also, you know, hinted that he'll play some third. So, uh, unfortunately, right now on NFBC, just because of the rules, he only has first base eligibility, which kind of mm-hmm. stinks. Um, but he'll definitely get second soon and then potentially even third too. So I think as that news sort of trickles down more and, you know, becomes more apparent that Vargas does have a starting job, 
uh, I think he is going to shoot up uh, again, unless Brown is announced that he's in the rotation, which I don't think he will be. Um, not saying that he won't contribute this year in the rotation. Uh, the Astros have done six man before, but that was with Verlander coming off of Tommy John. Um, you know, uh, I, I still think that Astros six starters are extremely valuable. That's kind of what uh, Christian Javier was heading into the season last year. That pre- that didn't prevent me from getting a lot of shares. So I'll still be drafting Brown, but I think it'll be around this cost, which I'm here for just because I, it's good value. Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of Vargas, and he struggled when he was up in the majors, but was so good in AAA, and the just the pedigree is phenomenal. I could see him easily moving in front of uh, Bryson Stott, who's at ADP 225, and then the second baseman ahead of that are Cattell Marte at 208, Josh Rojas at 198, uh, Jeff McNeil at 188. To me, I think that might be you know, where where his average kind of balances out in March. But I think his min pick might jump up where, you know, some like the Tyro Estradas and Brandon Laus are at, at like 170. Uh, maybe I'm just kind of going crazy there with, with Vargas, Steve, but it's such a shallow position. And the Dodgers lineup, and especially if he has a good spring, I think people, as soon as you get past that range of like, you know, Polanco and and Max Muncie, I think people are just going to be like, well, these all all these other guys are just in one big bucket of we don't know if it's going to work out or not. And I could see Vargas kind of people taking some reaches in that range. Totally agree. Uh, I I think he'll finish above most of those guys. Yeah, which is crazy because right now again, uh, ADP even uh, you know I guess it's recent, but two eighty and climbing fast so. That's Vargas. And then, Steve, let's round out with a, a couple pitchers uh, in kind of the SP4 or 5 range, uh, Chris Sale and Joe Ryan. We talked about Sale a little bit, but uh, Joe Ryan's another one that, that I grabbed in the pitcherless mock, and Nick Pollock gave me the stamp of approval. He really likes Joe Ryan, which is, is you know, almost reason alone. But uh, Ryan is a name that kind of gets swept under the rug. He, he's, you know... Even though he's got kind of the wonky delivery, he still kind of has a, a vanilla thing going on. Uh, pick 148 right now is where Joe Ryan is. So uh, what do you think here? Do you do you foresee that there will be a little bit of helium, and would you be on board with it? Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm on board with it. I like Joe Ryan. I think he's great. I drafted him last year. Um, think he's a good pitcher. I think he's underrated. Um, just because he doesn't have that high-end fastball velocity you'd expect from a good fantasy starter. But we've talked about it a lot on the show. The deceptiveness is real. Um, so I, I like Ryan. I just don't know if there will be a, as much of a, 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 a really any more ADP jump. I think it's just kind of like a a boring 3-4. At least that's kind of what the, the market is viewing him as. Maybe even more of a 4-5. But... I think he's definitely better than that. Uh, maybe it's you know a, a two first name thing. I don't know. Um, <laughs> being in Minnesota, not the the biggest market, not having amazing strikeout numbers, but you know good enough. I mean, uh, you know a twenty five percent strikeout rate. I think what's going to get better with Ryan is is the walk rate. Uh, it was seven point eight percent, but you know in, in the minors, in the high minors, uh, and in his stint in twenty twenty one, 
he had you know closer to five six percent walk rate so i think that might improve um i think he's got pretty good command um so i i think he might be better than he actually is i just don't you know he doesn't seem like a guy that's an extreme riser at least at least yeah to me unless i'm missing something with sale like you know if he looks good in spring training with all his injuries like he's going to shoot up the board so um, definitely but i i i like both these guys i i think i'd honestly feel better with with joe ryan just more of a lock for injuries just considering what what sale's been through um i know there was a lot of bad luck last year but you know he was still missed a lot of time yeah he did weird injuries but still injuries so yeah, Ryan is at the start of kind of a pitching tier because for him to move up, it would be in the range of like Blake Snell and Clayton Kershaw. And like yeah, he's not going to he's not going to get there, right? Yeah, he's right? not going to yeah, get there. Yeah. And I think you know because of those pitchers there, it's like he starts the next tier with Freddie Peralta, Lance Lynn, um, you know, in, in that range. So I think um, you know it, it's 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 a good range for him, but it's uh, yeah, I think. When you look at names around, even like Jesus Lazardo is a name that could climb yeah. a, a little bit faster than Joe Ryan. So I think great assessment. And yeah, Ryan's a really good vanilla. If you get a guy like Christian Javier at the start of the show, Ryan's a nice kind of pairing for mm-hmm. high floor um, to, to round out that rotation. So that rounds out the show, Steve. And uh, apologies, you know, we can't help ourselves going over the hour mark, even right. when you're under the weather. But um yeah, we'll be back, guys, in a couple weeks. We're going to uh, hit on some some fun topics, talk about a little PLV with some of the new stuff on the site. And, big, uh, we big, should have a, big, big guest. Big, big yeah, we'll guest. have a big what guest I, yeah. for that one. Uh, you know, a guy who's got a little bit of something to do with pitcher lists. So excited there. And uh, after, after February, we will be back to once a week podcast. But... Until then, enjoy the draft season. Enjoy the prep. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, we would love if you went out, gave us a rating review. Otherwise, you can follow us on Twitter at WinsBovePod. I am at Van underscore Verified, and Steve is at Stav8818. That's WinsBov Fantasy, episode 86. Thanks for talking baseball with us, guys. Thanks for listening, guys. Later.